Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. It is Thursday, January 14th, and uh, we've got something to talk about today. Now, currently, good friend of ours, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, Ben Shapiro is trending somewhere or another. He's, uh, he's in the headlines, so to speak, because I guess Politico gave him a platform, and now that's not okay with a lot of people. They see him as, they see Ben Shapiro as an extreme right-wing racist <coughs> anti-Semite, this, that, and the other. And it brings up the whole issue of the Overton window. Now, I think the Overton window analogy originally was coined to refer to a range of acceptable policy that is sort of uh, palatable, that is acceptable to the mainstream populace. But oftentimes people use it just to refer to an ever-changing range of what's acceptable, not only in terms of policy, but in the ter- in terms of of ideas, of ideology, of philosophy. And an example of that would be the fact that, you know, 10 years ago or so, Fox News was seen as this extreme right-wing propaganda machine. And, you know, there's some truth in that um, allegation, not maybe extreme right-wing, but certainly they were a voice of the Republican Party, as they, I think they still often are. But they were seen as the, the face of fascism. Like the leftists would say, oh, Fox News. Oh, you've been watching too much Fox News, I see. Like Fox News was it. It was the belly of the beast from their perspective. And today Fox News is largely seen as kind of more of a middle of the road, mainstream kind of uh, Republican and name only type of or uh, enterprise by both people on the left and by the right. So like people on the right, now they see Fox News as compromisers because they're not following Donald Trump to the edge of the earth. They're not following him to off of a cliff. When if Donald Trump says that there was election fraud, Fox News apparently ought to immediately run with that opinion regardless <clears throat> of what cover. So now I think Newsmax, there's a new, I think internet-based network, Newsmax, they're seen as like the new kind of credible from the perspective of the right, credible right-wing news organization. So there's an example of a changing standard, a, 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 I guess a a shrinking window here um, is how you can look at it, but really it's more of a shifting window, uh, if you will. Um, So it's, it's shifting and it's shrinking. It's just, it's, it's a bad window. What we actually need is objectivity. We need a, clear standard based in reality of what's true and what's false. And then anybody or any organization that fails to meet that standard is going to hell. We should not uh, give them the time of day. You know, another example of a, of a shifting standard is I remember Mitt Romney. He was, you know, the media was saying he's, he's declared war on women, the war on women. Mitt Romney was the face of, you know, white supremacy. And he was, you know, and Joe Biden told a crowd of African-Americans that if, Mitt Romney is elected. They, they, these Republicans want to put y'all back in mother effing chains. If I'm if I believe I'm quoting Biden correctly here. So that was Mitt Romney back then. He was he was it. He was the enemy of all of of uh, of equal rights. He was the enemy of civil rights, the way people would see him. And obviously today, Mitt Romney is seen as the one kind of decent Republican willing to stand up against big bad Trump. So the ever-changing, ever-shrinking, and moving 
range of what's acceptable definitely comes to mind at a time when Ben Shapiro, listen, I've had my differences with Ben. We've, we have our differences with Ben. I think most of us watching and participating, but I mean, is he an extreme right winger? Like in today's context, when we see the, uh, the, the, the alt-right, when we see the white nationalists becoming increasingly present on the right, uh, increasingly the sort of nationalist, anti-constitutionalist um, elements of the Republican Party are be- have been emboldened over the last several years. Is Ben Shapiro the problem? Um, yes, according to many people on Twitter. They are saying Politico and others should not even give Shapiro a platform. He is such a pariah the way they see it. He is such a villain. He should be cast out to Midian, outside the gates of the city. Let him live out in exile. Is it because he's Jewish? I, don't, I know Jews, exile, diaspora. That, it, see, Ben Shapiro should have me advise and consult him. I would tell him exactly how to retort in all cases. It's all about playing the game, Ben. Call me up. Anyway, uh, speaking of calls, we've got a guy here who, um, boy, uh, I mean, if they make the, the Ben Shapiro movie, maybe uh, this guy can play uh, a young Steve Bannon. I could sort of see it, you know, with the right lighting and makeup. I mean, oh, <laughs> hey, someone, you've already played the devil, haven't you? Uh, you, can, you, you can go a little bit farther in the evil direction. <laughs> Please welcome Mark Pellegrino. What's up, man? Uh, well, you know, both those examples that you gave, I didn't know that Fox was now considered middle of the road, by the way. I, I still hear people on Twitter acting as if Fox is the, is the alt-right embodiment of the alt-right. But are they becoming more moderate now? This is a fact that... that the culture is shifting. <laughs> well, the, the, it's both that the culture is shifting. So like you've got all these internet based news organizations that are just like complete like Trump or death. And and by the way, within a year or or 10 years, Trump will be seen as, you know, a very purple uh, middle of the road or in the eyes of the right. So Trump is today, you know, seen as the hero. But him and Tucker Carlson eventually will be seen as um as middle of the roaders, the same way that today's leftists refer to Barack Obama as basically a conservative. They see him as a right winger. So, well, that, that uh, just is, that just sort of tells me that the this over, Overton window is, is being determined by the left. <laughs> the left well, is sort of setting the standards and pushing things further left, so that what was left before is now is now sh- sort of uh, shifting to a moderate direction as they keep pushing and pushing and pushing in in, in one direction. But it's not only, uh, sorry, but it's not only the left. It's also the right has moved so far in their particular Trumpian direction that now they see Fox News. People on the right see Fox as a compromising um, type of national review type of organization. So they're they're ready to throw Fox in the trash as well. So it's kind of the right and the left have moved so far in their directions that they both see Fox as old news and sort of irrelevant. Yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, in the mainstream politics is two narratives, and we're and both of them are uh, untrue, and they're sort of spinning in their own narratives and and spinning worlds based on those narratives. And the people who are in in the middle, so to speak, trying to grab grains of truth from either side, are being crushed and ground down, so that we're left with these two rationalistic narratives determining. I, I, basically what we're hearing in politics. Um, 
I still think I look. I I know Euron Brook thinks the the right is the big boogeyman because they're they're more organized philosophically than the left. But I still think I disagree. I think I think the right is sort of a, a composed of a, a, a ad hoc uh, ideologies, sort of juxtaposed next to each other. And I think the left the left is organized under under nihilism, uh, and they're organized under a a pro-statist, uh, rationalistic, um, anti, anti-rational uh, ideology, and I think they're, I think they're pushing the narrative. They're forcing these other folks off to the far right, and 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 determining, telling us what's right, what's left, what's good, what's bad, what's appropriate, what isn't, what are the discourses, what's outside the discourses. You don't think this? You think you don't think the left is sort of in command? I mean, it's hard to say which one is most likely to succeed. And I've heard Yaron mention that he thinks a Christian environmentalist will sort of rise up and unite uh, much of the country. But um, I think it's important that we stay current, that we pay attention to kind of changes in the culture. So I don't know if you are uh, aware of just what the right has been becoming in recent years. They really do see Fox. And 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 a lot of them see now Tucker Carlson as a compromiser because he dared question the conspiracy, you know, the election fraud narrative. Um, and yeah, like uh, a lot of people, they just see Fox as, you know, as a baby boomer version of the right. But they see like Newsmax and other Internet based, uh, much more conspiratorial and nationalistic. So anti anti constitutionalist, anti anti principled. Uh, sort of presentations of the right as the way of the future. And it, this has been happening in recent years. So um, I think it's important that we see that that's happening. So there is, um, there is something to be very worried about on the right, especially the crazier the left gets. Um, it does make the right seem more kind of reasonable in, you know, by comparison. So I could see increasingly Americans turning to this sort of uh, nationalistic type of right and say, all right, they, they make a lot of sense. They're certainly not leftists. So let's uh, let's go with them. Um, it's, it's a tough question of like, because, it, because like, they're looking, you think that because they're looking for order, they're looking for a sense of, uh, uh, you know, of um, I want, I want to say comprehensibility where, you know, the left is just disintegrating into chaos and atomizing into these groups, these groups of warfare, you think they're looking for something more integrated and that's why they go traveling to the, to the right. They see it as a, an attempt to, to, to find, you know, something, something whole in the pieces that the left are making. Yes. And also people, um, the Americans are egoists in, in, in some kind of base way. You know, this is the, the, the land of Thomas Jefferson. This is the land of the founders. Like the, the ghosts of the founding fathers still do float among us. Like we're Americans are not ready to just sacrifice their families, their prosperity, any good, any semblance of a good life in the name of this, you know, higher calling of um, perpetual um, witch hunting in the name of equality. So when they see the left increasingly acting deranged and completely uh, pointing the finger at the average American saying, you're it, you're the Nazi, you're part of the problem. And then on the other, on the other hand, they see someone like Tucker Carlson, someone like Trump saying, America's great. We'll be pro-American. We love America. What are these leftists trying to do? Take America, give the country away to the Chinese? 
And that seems like a more sort of sensible and self-interested option. Now, of course, it's, it's not a, a very a completely rational option and can lead to many, many troubles ahead. So um, it, it puts us in a very difficult position where on one hand, um, we, we agree that the left is kind of the worst option, but we really don't want people to get on this, uh, to get on this airplane, get on this boat that is nationalism and um, sort of anti-constitutionalist Americanism. It's, I mean, I think, I think it's because the left is driving them to something in there and, and the right is sort of looking for intellectual unification, but the only, since they have no philosophy, they're, they, they're, they're, they seem to be uniting around jingoistic principles and strong men. It's as if they think the only way to combat this massive disintegration that's going on on the left is to get a, a big dad out there with a big stick and slap the kids uh, into sensibility. Um, I mean, so to me, I, I, I see the, um, like you, I see why people are sort of migrating into that opposite camp, but what do, what do we do about that? How do we keep them, how do we keep them from migrating completely to the irrationalist uh, right? Uh, good question. I love doing that, saying good question and then just standing in silence uh, as <laughs> though uh, someone expected me to have the answer. I mean, uh, you know, like I tend to say, focus less on kind of what's wrong with everybody and more on what's good, what's right, inspire people. Um, you know, the more people read The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, the more of a standing chance we have. And yes, most of the, um, most of the schnooks of the world today, most of the, uh, you know, most of the bums that we see uh, running the culture today, they have read Ayn Rand, including, I'm told, Donald Trump. So it's not like it's not in of itself going to save the world, apparently, but it's definitely um, an important step to get Rand's book sold. And then I think uh, to have objectivists, people who take Ayn Rand's ideas seriously, articulating with confidence and with clarity how these ideas relate to the facts on the ground. And a lot of people are not happy when they hear that, you know, Americanism, individualism, a value-driven life means that Donald Trump is not the answer, that um, this conspiratorial uh, view of things that you see on the right increasingly is not consistent with a rational epistemology, that even in politics to have some good policies come out of someone like Trump is not going to cut it because how you arrived at these policies, how you arrived at your conclusions is the most important thing. A method is what matters. That's easy to remember. Method matters. Um, so a lot of people, they kind of don't want to hear about it, but kind of the more we say it and the more people are maybe inspired and the more we speak to people's values, you know, the more that objectivism is sort of related to people's personal ambitions and less to their political um, kind of uh, perspective on things is, I think, the way forward. So there's my answer. Copy that. Well, yeah. I don't know. I, th I think I think we're suffering from a legitimacy crisis right now. I think because both sides are into their narratives, people in the middle have have no no anchor, no truth anchor. You know, hopefully we can we could try to provide that, or objectivist outlets can try to provide that point of view, but. Right now, we're we're on the edges of the culture, not not the mainstream. 
Yeah, and we are seeing this ever-shifting um, sort of uh, window, this ever-shrinking window of kind of what's acceptable. And it's at a point where if you're not on board with, you know, the woke leftist um, sort of perspective, you're, e- you're quickly called a-, a Nazi, you're quickly called a racist and all of these terrible things. And uh, what I'm seeing on the right is sort of a shifting uh, window as, as well. Like uh, it used to be, if you were just basically pro-liberty, you were part of, you know, you were part of this sort of opposition to the left. But like increasingly, if you're not willing to follow Donald Trump to the end of the earth and that Donald Trump will later be replaced by another figure or by a different policy, a different party, whatever it is. If you're not willing to follow them, now you're a compromiser, you're in bed with the left, you're, you know, you're soft on the left, you're not ready, you're not cut out for this fight. So it, it is a, this sort of a Overton window, if I'm even still using that phrase correctly. It is, it makes things very frustrating, which is, again, why we need to just focus less on kind of all the false alter, all the false options on the list and more on what it is that is correct, what it is, what it is that is true. Um, We've got in the chat room, uh, by the way, thanks for the super chat, LMH. Appreciate it. I like that little funny little dollar sign next to the amount. I'm not entirely sure what that is. Is that a pound? Is that a euro? You can tell uh, how knowledgeable we are in the U.S. about the world out there. Um, But now Hugh in the chat room says, I hope Rand wasn't a libertarian. Now, I mean, maybe he means he hopes she wasn't like a complete free market, laissez-faire capitalist. She was a complete radical for capitalism. However, uh, she was not a libertarian. And it's become increasingly clear to me why she was so hostile to libertarianism. Because people would ask her like, well, what's so bad about libertarians? They basically agree with a lot of your policies. Well, wouldn't you vote for one if, if, he, if he had a chance of winning? And I think Rand's answer was basically, I would vote for anyone but a libertarian. And it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's like level 10 of understanding the objectivist take on politics and really objectivism. Maybe level 10 is high, but may, to say maybe it's more like level six, but it is, you kind of need a certain advanced uh, understanding, I think, of the philosophy to kind of understand what is so bad about libertarianism. And it, I think, speaks to my point I was making a minute ago, that method matters. So if a political party or candidate are pushing for capitalism, on the wrong premise, on the wrong grounds, that sort of, um, it, it affiliates capitalism with, um, with sort of a faulty method. And, it, and uh, or similarly, when, when Trump says there was election fraud, this is the biggest election fraud in the history of maybe of the world. We haven't seen anything like this in a- Africa, India, anywhere. There's nothing, not in Russia, there's no, never been anything this bad, says Trump. When he says that, then it doesn't matter if occasionally Trump says something correct. If this is the method he employs to arrive at his conclusions, then we need to just throw everything he says in the trash and avoid him at all costs. So uh, similarly with libertarianism, since their methods are such crap, uh, we would be wise to stay away from libertarians. And uh, that's become increasingly clear to me. So, you know, Nikos often says, you know, that we need to take politics more seriously than maybe a lot of objectivists are. Because it is, it is important and it is crucial. And I, I kind of see it that like politics has shown me recently why epistemology matters at, like in, in, in observing Trump and many of his supporters. So interestingly enough, it is politics that has uh, helped me learn epistemology. I hope there's something in there for everyone. 
Uh, what anything on your mind before we call it a wrap? This is a 20 minute show, by the way. I know we normally go for like 75 minutes trying to wrap it up. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, this Overton window keeps shrinking or shifting or doing something. I mean, I'm not a big fan typically of these analogies, but seeing Ben Shapiro now called an extremist who should not be given a voice on Politico. Like, I mean, isn't Politico like saying, uh, like C-SPAN or something. I mean, Politico, from what I recall, is not like a, uh, I don't know. It's, they, they, they just kind of give everybody a pl- like a voice, basically. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's- Well, I mean, I mean the, um, the moral high ground is controlled by the people who are weaponizing language and who understand the power of language. That's the left. And I think, unfortunately, the right response is to reject all of that, which unfortunately means rejecting principles and and uh, and all the things that we think lead us to a proper society. And and they're planting themselves firmly behind a strong man, thinking that's the solution to to beating the nihilism, the weaponization of language that they're seeing on on the left. Unfortunately, that leaves us with, you know, two poles that are both wrong and, and trying to navigate the territory in between. God help us all. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this sucks, but you know, America has been through some tough times in the past. You know, when, when you look at like the, the, the early progressives, AKA the blueprint writers for today's conservatives, when you look back at the progressives of like the 1910s and twenties, whatever, you know, Woodrow Wilson and his, his people, they were like open fascist, like fascism was not a dirty word yet, you know, before like Mussolini and, and all the the atrocities of world war two. So being fascist was seen as kind of cool and different. And the progressives, they were like teaching little kids songs about how nationalistic they were going to be and telling kids to snitch on their parents. If their parents were like wasting food or doing something that was not helpful to the community. So America has like, we've sort of been there. Like we have some, uh, we've, we've kind of gone to some dark places, obviously many dark places when it comes to racial, um, inequality and stuff like that. So, uh, we've come back from some very bad places or we've, we've rejected some very bad, uh, tendencies in the past. So as bad as things may be, and as, as bad as they may become soon, there's something about Americans. that just seems too resilient to, uh, extinguish, to put out, uh, the, the flame cannot, it just won't want to go out. And that's the power of, of just having so few good ideas in America's culture, just the, the smidgen of egoism. The, uh, the semblance of reason that Thomas Jefferson wrote about. Um, just having that in our culture is, seems to be more resilient than all of the efforts made by virtually everybody against it. So, see, optimism. That's what we're about here. By the way, coming up in uh, about three hours, um, uh, why don't you tell me the exact time, Rosie? That would be good. In three hours, Mark is back right here on the channel, the Ayn Rand Center UK, as guest co-host of The Selfish Lovers. That's a wildly popular show we, uh, that the channel has been airing. Um, it's at 9.30 UK time, which is 4.30 Eastern. Mark is going to be guest hosting, along with Gloria Alvarez, The Selfish Lovers. And, if that, and the topic is masculinity and femininity in Rand's novels. That, to me, sounds about as perfect as a show can get, but there's more. They have also got guest Andrew Bernstein. If you don't watch this, if you don't listen to this episode, 
there's something wrong with you and uh, you're probably never going to find love. I mean, let's be honest. You're not actually taking proper steps to understand the issue. So who do you blame? Who are you going to blame? The left, the right. Who are you going to blame? You honestly, you just, it's time for you to take responsibility for your own life. Thanks, Mark, for a wonderful discussion. <laughs> thank you all in the chat room as usual and everybody watching. Thank you, Rosie, behind the scenes. We'll be back here again in a few hours for the Selfish Lovers. Uh, that'll be here on the channel. And we'll be back here tomorrow on the Daily Objective. <laughs> in time. And uh, thank you, Mr. Puppy over there for the last minute cameo. Thank you and goodbye. Bye, guys.